Welcome to the Torah Talks Podcast with Rabbi Yaakov Laredo. Rabbi Laredo is the director of a Torah center which inspires Jews of all ages and backgrounds to develop and expand themselves through the study of Torah. We focus on three main areas, discovering Torah, connecting to God, and engaging with other Jews. In this podcast, Rabbi Laredo will discuss the Book of Esther in 11 classes. Rabbi Laredo's number one goal is to provide you with deep, clear, concise, and applicable Torah material, helping you become the best you. We are starting the second chapter in Megillat Esther, the book of Esther. Last week we learned the first chapter and we ended off with, well, first introducing who Achashverosh was, how great and mighty he, he was, and how he a big show-off he was. Yeah. And then his drunken habits, which led to the death of his wife, Vashti. That's where we left off last week. This week, we're starting chapter 2. Chapter 2 starts with Achashverosh waking up out of his days. So, let's read. We're in the first verse. After everything that just happened. So, Unkelus translates it as after Achashverosh sobers up a little bit. Okay? When the uh, anger and the wrath of the king subsides and calms down a little bit. So he remembers, as the Malmbim puts it, three different aspects of Vashti. Number one, et Vashti, her. And we'll explain why it's uh, alluded to in three different ways. So Vashti, what he did. Sorry, vet asher asata, what she did. And number three, his decree upon her. So her, what she did. And number three, what, what he did to her, his, his decree to, to kill her. The Malbim says that it is uh, split up, the, the verse is split up with those three things that Hashrosh remembers to tell us that Hashrosh was scared about three different aspects about the fact that he lost Vashti. Number one is he's scared. Am I sure that I'm going to find such a beautiful uh, girl with such a great heritage? Because again, she was the daughter of a king. That's number one. Number two, well, maybe he's going to have to kill the next wife he, he marries, and then he's going to be known as the king who kills his wives, which is not a good thing. And maybe he's going to, number three, is maybe he's actually going to find the right woman, but that woman's not going to want to marry him because she's going to be scared of being killed. So those were the three aspects Achashverosh was scared of, according to the Malbim. Second verse, Vamrun so some of the king's attendants came up with a great idea. All right, let's bring in many girls, um, specifically Narot Betulot. They gave the idea of let's bring virgin girls to the king, and maybe the king will find someone that he will be suit and fit his eyes, what the way he likes it. However, we're soon going to see that not only were the uh, virgins brought, but even um women who are not virgins were were brought as well to the to the king so Did he the different opinions we're soon going to see that even 
part of this contest, this, this is what this week we're going to speak about, this chapter, part of this beauty pageant and this contest was even amongst his other wives. It seems like, like most kings, Ahasuerus didn't only have one wife. I guess this was the contest for who's going to replace the head wife, the most beloved and the most important wife, Vashti's position. Okay, so we're going to see that in a moment. Pasuk um, Gimel, the third verse. Vayafked ha-melech pekidim b'chol medinot malchuto v'ikbitsu et kol na'ara betula tovat ma'ere el shushan habira el bet ha-nashim el yad hegei seris ha-melech shomer ha-nashim v'naton tamrukehem. So it's a long verse. The verse is as follows. So the king sends out messengers, dispatches, um, to bring uh, all the women in. Now, specifically, Pekidim Rashi uh, comments, and he says that each and every um, head of the city, there was a certain person in every city who knew who all the good-looking girls were. So that's who was contacted. The scoutsman, I don't want to use any foul language, but the scoutsman, the, the player, whatever, he was the one who was sent out to gather up all of the girls from each and every, every city. Bechol medinot in every in every city. Vik bitsu. So the Mamloes translates vik bitsu as against their will, meaning if women did not want to come, they did not have a choice. They either came nicely or they were brought by force. The midrash says that all of this was done. That every because because Hashem could have just brought. Esther right to Achashverosh. The Midrash says that the women, the Goyish women, they used to always make fun of the Jewish women. Ah, we're more beautiful than you. We can dress nicer than you. We can do all these things in a in a greater way. So specifically, every single Goyish woman was brought in front of Achashverosh, and the beauty pageant was won by the Jewess as an embarrassment back, paying them back for, oh, you thought that you were the most beautiful? No, there's a Jewish, a Jewess which is more beautiful. That's the way the Midrash explains it. Um, so every single woman that was good-looking was brought to the capital city. There was a new um, wing as part of the major palace of, of Hashverosh, which was called Bet HaNashim, which was the house of women. And there were different uh, guards and ministers who were in charge of making sure that they were vinaton bitamrukehen. They were now treated, their bodies were treated as we're going to see the, the, the verses continue. Fourth verse says, And then the maiden who is going to find favor in the king's eyes, Timloch Tachad Vashti. Then she's going to now take Vashti's place. So this was the idea that was given to him. And, and, and Achashverosh loves the idea. Let's gather all the women in. Let's do a great big beauty pageant. And let me be the judge to see who's going to be the new head queen. Verse 5. Ish Yehudi. Now the, um, the Megillah is introducing to us um, Mordechai and reintroducing to us... Um, Esther. So listen to the following. Ishiudi, there was a Jewish man, which lived in the capital city of Shushan, Ushmo Mordechai. His name was Mordechai, the son of Yair, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, Ish Yemini. So there's a lot to talk about. This is a this is a packed verse. We're trying we're gonna to try to make it as as brief and clear as possible. Ish Yehudi, meaning he was obviously not the only Jew. 
that was um, that was in in Shushan. We know that because there were many other Jews that attended all of the different festive meals and anything of that sort. And actually, he was not part of the tribe of Judah. He was actually part of the tribe of Binyamin, as the last words of this verse say, Ish Yemini. So he is called Ish Yudi according to Rashi because he was exiled um, out of Israel by the first wave of exile with the tribe of Judah. Okay, even though he's not part of the tribe of Judah. That's why he's referred to as Ish Yehudi. There's an Italian commentary on the Megillah um, by the name of Rav, Rav Galico. So, very interesting. It's a, it's a new commentary. The Art Scroll quotes, quotes him. And he says that this was actually a praise to, to Mordechai. That Mordechai not only acted as a Jew by not attending the Mishteh, he also acted as a Jew in private, at home, in the Bet Midrash, and also in public. Okay, we'll see that again uh, later. He was also the only Jew who did not eat as part of that Mishteh, the festive meal Achashverosh um, set out. Um, the Midrash says Ish is actually a a beautiful way to re- uh, relate to, to someone special as Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, was referred to as Vehaish Moshe, that the man Mo- Moshe Rabbeinu, so showing us how great uh, Mordechai was. Um, now, getting to, his, getting to his names, when the verses tell us there's two ways to tell someone's name, as we see in Tanakh. There's either Ushmo Mordechai, as we see over here, his name was Mordechai, or we can say, um, we're going to give an example, that Naval Shemo, that Naval is his name, is the word Shem before the name or after the name. So the Midrash tells us that whenever the word Shem or Shemo is before the name, it's referred to for Tzadikim as Mordechai, and when Shem is after the name it's referred to as Rishaim. Examples would be Naval, who was not a righteous person. Naval Shemo, Goliath Shemo, Goliath, Sheva Ben Bichri Shemo. Those are all Rishaim. And then by Tzadikim we have Ushmo Manoach, Ushmo Kish, Ushmo Elkanah, Ushmo Shaul, Ushmo Boaz, Ushmo Ishai, Ushmo Mordechai. So this is the difference of whether when the verses is trying to tell us it's a righteous person or not, where is the word Shem placed? Before for Tzadikim or after for Rishaim? Um, ben Yair, Ben Shimi, Ben Kish, there's a, a very nice um, allusion to how long Mordechai actually lived, and that was if you take the um, numerical value of Ben Kish, you get 410, which was the amount of years the first temple stood, and Ben Shimi is 420, which is the amount of years the second temple stood, alluding to that Mordechai lived a long life and he lived to see the first and the second temple both in, in, in action. If we think about it, it doesn't need to be too long because there's only a 70 year gap between, between the two. But he is, alluded in his name is the fact that he actually saw both of those. Uh, those those manif- uh, magnificent buildings in in operation. Gemara talks about people at the second base of Rishon who were crying because 
it, it was nothing compared to the first one. So it must have been a yes, crowd. yes, yes, yes. Um, Ishimini the says that Mordechai was a descendant of Binyamin, who was the only brother who was not involved in any way with the sale of Joseph, and that was his merit to be the savior of the um, of the uh, Jewish people at this time. Mordechai was also a descendant of Shaul HaMelech, and he came to be metakin, to uh, fix up and atone for the fact that Shaul did not completely destroy Amalek along with its king Agag. Right? Remember he left Agag? He cut off his his hands and feet, and then he still procreated, and that's how there's still Amalek. Haman comes from Amalek, so that comes from there. The Tiferet Shlomo says that Yemini stands for Yish Yemini, meaning he always veered right, and he did the right thing, and he never veered off small to the to the left. Um, okay, Pasuk Vav, the sixth verse. Asher hoglam Yerushalayim im hagola asher hoglata im yechonya melech Yehuda asher hegla nevuchadnezar melech Bavel. So we are still explaining and introducing to us who Mordechai is. And Mordechai was uh, exiled asher hogla, right? Uh, he was exiled with the tribe of Judah, as we said. That's why he was called Ish Yehudi. Now, Asher Hogla, the Talmud, tells us that he actually self-inflicted exile upon him. He did not need to leave Israel that early. He did leave prior to the rest of the Jewish people. Um, and the Tiver Shlomo tells us, another commentary on the Megillah, that Mordechai mimicked a similar thing that Jacob, our forefather, did. Remember, Jacob goes to Egypt before the bondage and all of the hardship settles on the Jewish people in order to prepare the land for them. So Mordechai did the same thing. He came out to uh, Shushan in order to prepare the grounds, to prepare the exile for an easier landing for Klal Yisrael when they're actually going to be exiled. This is uh, another interpretation. Zayin, seventh verse, Vahi Omen. Now here you're going to get ready for a beautiful interpretation. Vahi Omen et Hadasa. So Omen literally means that um, Mordechai, the way they translate here is reared Hadasa, raised Hadasa. Well, yeah, good, nursemaid. So we're going to see that right now. Okay. Vahi Omen et Hadasa, hi Esther. So he raises Hadasa, who's actually Esther, we're going to see which one was her real name, Hadassah or Esther. Well, there's different opinions. So, Bat Dodo, so she was his niece. It was his brother's daughter. Ki en avaem, she did not have neither a father or mother. So she, he, she was adopted by Mordechai. Ve'anara yifat tor ve'ifat mar'eh. And the, the girl is beautiful. And, she, and then Mordechai adopts her as his own daughter. So this word of omen is not a regular word. The Ma'amloez spends great length on explaining uh, what is exactly going on. So first he explains it shows what a great individual Mordechai was. That even though he was the Rosh HaSanhedrin, the head of the 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 court, the Jewish court back in those days, nevertheless he took care of this girl like his own daughter, he fed her 
he gave her to drink, he took care of her, he changed her, he raised her, he educated her. The Talmud says that, that he was even given breasts to wean her. Literally, to give her, to give her milk. Now, under, take that for, 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 at face value or not. Did he have a bottle? That's not the point. The point is it shows his tzitkut, his righteousness of taking care of this yitoma, of this uh, unfortunate, uh, unfortunate orphan. Now, um, there's something that the Mamlos tells us here, he says it elsewhere as well on his commentary on the Chumash, that there is a level, there are levels and steps on how you teach and what you teach your children when they're able to start speaking. The first thing, as we know, is we're supposed to teach them Torah Tzivalanu Moshe, Morashat Yaakov. This is one of the this is one of the first verses that we have them and we sing to them. And then top at one at the line, right up there, is also teaching our children to say Amen. Now what's so important about teaching one's child to sing Amen? Because at whatever age a child says Amen, they have now granted themselves their ticket to the resurrection, to Tichiyat HaMetim. Now God forbid a child who passes away early for reasons we don't understand, and we're not going to try to understand, but at least if the child already said the word Amen, answered Amen to a blessing, now they have uh, registered their ticket for the, for the resurrection. So, um, how do we say? Mordechai made sure to teach Esther from the first moment she was able to speak to answer Amen. And that's how come the word Omen there should be a vav. It should say Aleph Vav Mem Nun. No, it's missing a vav because you could also read it as Amen. He taught her the word Amen. Okay? That is for Vahi Omen. Hadassah, the Midrash says, um, Hadassah is one of the four um, species we hold on, on, on Sukkot. And each of them have their own traits. One of them smells good and tastes good. Another one smells good and tastes bad. Another one tastes good and smells bad. And then we know that the, the Aravot don't have any good taste or any good smell. The Hadassah actually has good smell but no taste. So the Midrash says that she was good smelling to Mordechai, meaning she brought greatness to Mordechai and the Jewish people, but she tasted very bitter to Haman. That's why she was uh, alluded to as Hadassah. Now the Talmud is in, in, in limbo. What's her real name? Esther or Hadassah? So there's difference of opinions which one was which. So we're going to give examples why each. So Hadassah um, stands for that she was also green in, in complexion, which back then was a beauty, believe it or not. Some say that was a beauty. Others say it was absolutely not a beauty, but rather this whole story coming comes from God that even though she had a green complexion and she was not beautiful or super, super beautiful, still a chashrosh went for her because God put it in his heart. So there's that different opinion. She, she was green uh, complexion. Was that in her favor or not in her favor? Either way, a chashrosh went for it. That was um, had, uh, Hadassah. Or also the Hadassah compared to the species is not the tallest nor the shortest. So she was not abnormally tall, which is not nice for a woman. And she wasn't very, very small, which also is nice. She was benonit, a perfect uh, size. Esther comes from the word astar. Okay? It's an Arabic word, which 
some say alludes to a beautiful moon, others say it alludes to a beautiful star. So every si- what? What about Ishtar? Which means? We, is that what it means? She rep- Ishtar was a, a chief goddess. Exactly. So, so, so some were so. Astar, you could say, uh, um, uh, Astahar is another way to, to say it. Everyone was claiming, oh, this is our savior, this is our queen, and everyone was so was so proud of, of Esther. They were all, I guess, under spell, if you want to say it that way. Another terminology for Esther is because Mordechai was hiding the fact that he was the one who raised her. So, from the word lehastir, to hide, as well as... Um, that the whole nest, the whole miracle was hidden. So Esther obviously alludes to that as well. Moving on. Unfortunately, the Talmud says that her father, Esther's father, passed away when her mother was pregnant and her mother passed during childbirth. And that's how Mordechai ended up with his niece to raise her. Um, Again, the Talmud and Rashi both read at the end of the verse, don't read it lebat as a daughter, ela lebait as a house, which refers to a wife. So, uh, and and again, legally, halachically, it's per- perfectly permissible for an uncle to marry a niece, uh, whether close age proximity or not. That's regardless. So, some say that no, he raised her as a daughter. Some say he actually raised her and and married her as as a wife. Moving on to the eighth. Verse. So at the point where the decree of the king spread out and Mordechai heard about it, So Mordechai was hiding Esther and he, he hid her for actually four years. Okay, four years went by and Mordechai was able to hide Esther. However, uh, against her will, she was taken. And the reason why she was taken is because the king makes a, a decree that anybody who was found to hide any beautiful women will be put to death. So Mordechai thought to himself, well, either way, if we keep on hiding, we'll eventually get caught because the, the people sensed Right? There were certain people who knew all the beautiful women in town. They sensed that one girl was missing. So either way, if, she, if, she, if she, she's going to get caught, she might as well get caught and be sent to the king and hopefully not marry the king because it, it's not nice to be married to a Gentile, wicked king, uncircumcised to say the least. So she, he said it's better that she plays that card and we try that luck rather than keeping on hiding her and maybe getting, uh, maybe getting caught. The Midrash has, yes? So if, if Esther was married to Mordechai, oh. are we to assume she can just continue to be a Perfect virgin? question. Perfect. That she could be a what? That she continued to be a virgin. So we said, uh, we didn't get to the verse yet, but I, 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 I told you already, and we're going to get to it soon, that he also brought non-virgins. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to get to that in the verse. Although the verse tells us that she is a never says that she was a betula, never says that she was a virgin. The verse doesn't say it. We're soon going to see in, in a moment. Now, um 
the Midrash has different opinions how old Esther actually was when she was taken to the king. One opinion, she was 40 years old. Another opinion, she was 70. Another opinion, she was 75. All right. And still, regardless how old she was, she still found favor in her beauty in the king's eyes. Moving on to the ninth, um, to the ninth verse. And now the king sees Nara, whether she's 40 or 70 or 75, she's still called uh, a maiden, right? A young girl. But this young girl, who was looking good and looking young, found favor in the king's eyes. Um, sorry, not in the king's eyes. Be'enav refers to Hegai the Shomer HaNashim, refers to the, you want to call him the steward, uh, the chamberlain, however you want to call him, the the the, the one who's appointed in, in, on top of all of, uh, of preparing and, and making the line and preparing the beauty pageant for the king. So he saw that she was beautiful. So uh, she, he now said, wow, this might be the one. This is going to be the one. And I'll be the... The person who's going to suggest this shidduch, so to say, to the king. So Vayvahel, he quickly, as Rashi explains, he quickly hurried up that the that the um, oil and anointment process and the creaming process and the beautification and the makeup and all of that happened as quick as possible. Et ve'et and he also gave her seven maidservants. Hariot latetla mi bet and he started spoiling Esther because he really thought that this might be the one. Um, the reason for seven different Nearot, um, the Talmud tells us, because she used to count the days of the week based on um, each of the, uh, how do you say, each of the maidservants. So she knew if if uh, Miss, uh, Miss A, who was the servant on Sunday, well, she knew that next week, Sunday, she'll be. So that means the one before it is Shabbos. Um, the commentaries, especially uh, Rav Yonatan Ibishitz asks what she didn't know how to count. Was she that primitive? She could, I'm sure she could, she should count. So it's as follows. He explains that she, he, um, she didn't want anyone to figure out that she was Jewish. Mm-hmm. She didn't want any of the maidservants to pick up that every day of the week she does Malacha and on Shabbos she doesn't. So she had a different maidservant every day. So this way, the maidservants during the weeks would think that the same way she's working, she's doing malacha during the week, well, every day she does the same. And the maidservant, she kept the same maidservant every Shabbos. So this way, that maidservant would think, oh, I guess she doesn't work or do malacha on on Shabbos because she doesn't do any day of the week. Okay? So that's how he explains how she was counting Shabbos, meaning she was trying to keep her her identity concealed from the... uh, from everyone around, the, no one would know that she was Jewish, as Mordechai told her, as we're soon going to see. As it says now, Pasuk Yud, So Esther did not say which nation she comes from and that she is part of. Neither the place she was born. Okay, that's the difference between Amma and Molata. Amma is which nation she is, and Molata is the place that she was born. She did not tell um, anybody where she's from. Because Mordechai told her not to say. Um, why did Mordechai tell her not to say? Rashi explains, because if they would have known that she was of descent of King Saul, Shaul HaMelech, then one of two things could have happened. Either they would have taken her 
right away as as queen. And again, Mordechai's intention was not that she would be taken as queen. He he wanted her back either as his as his wife or as his niece, not married to this to this gentile wicked individual. So um, he was trying. He told her conceal it so this way they do not know that you are the a bat melech that you're not the king the daughter of a king. So they don't take you. Yalkut Shimoni says that um, Mordechai wanted to escape any any greatness. So he didn't want anyone to know that he was related to her because he wanted to be humble and, and low-key. And on the opposite, if she would anger the king, well, then he didn't want to be killed on account for being related to her. Uh, the Sefer Rokeach explains that if she would have said that she is a Jew, listen listen to how fascinating this is, if she would have told the Hashverosh that she was a Jew, a Hashverosh would have loved her and been infatuated with her so much that she would have that he would have made all of his other ministers marry Jewish women as well. So that's why he told her to conceal who she was from. And Ibn Ezra explains that Mordechai wanted her to keep the mitzvahs of the Torah, right? All of the halachas. Um, in hiding, and he was afraid that if if they would know that she's Jew or Jewish, a Jewess, that um, that would work against her, that she wouldn't be able to fulfill all of the mitzvahs. Either they would force her to not keep the Torah, or they would kill her in in uh, and 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 endanger her life. Moving on to verse eleven. Every day, Mordechai would stroll. Literally, mitalech means to stroll. He would walk back and forth in front of the chamber where all of the women would be. Ladat et shalom Esther, to know if, if Esther is doing well or not. The Midrash says, even answer her any halachic questions that came up. Well, they haven't fed me anything kosher. Can I eat this? Okay, it's a life-threatening situation. Yes. Oh, well, what do I do with this? And what do I do with that? And what do I do if, if the king actually wants to touch me? Am I allowed to? Or is that Yarek Val Yavor? And so he answered all of the halachic questions for her. That's the Midrash says. Umayaseba. And he also was going was waiting to see what would happen with her. Rashi explains, well, he, he Mordechai felt that the fact that she was taken in, in, in such a haste and so quickly to be delivered and presented in front of the king, it must mean uh, and since she was subjugated to such pain and such um Humiliation. Imagine a good base Yaakov religious girl who now has to act in a very prats way. Chas v'shalom. So since she had to go through all of this pain and suffering, he was waiting to see. He knows something good is going to come out of all of that, all of that suffering. The Mamloez explains that the the terminology of mitalech is specific strolling because again Mordechai did not want anyone to suspect that him and Esther were connected in any way. So he would just stroll back and forth and not make it look like he was uh, looking to speak to or or be in contact with with Esther. That's why it doesn't says it doesn't say um holech, rather it says mitalech. Verse twelve. So at the time when every single uh, girl's opportunity came to come in front of the king, um, it was after 12 months of them being in this Bet HaNashim, of this, this courtyard and this uh, dormitory for the women. The Manot HaLevi explains 12 months because Achashverosh, as, as crazy as he was and as stupid as he was, he still did not want to catch any diseases. 
So he wanted to have the women detoxify for 12 months as well as, right? <laughs> as well as if they had any dangerous uh, illnesses or diseases, within 12 months it would have come out and, and, and then they would have been put aside and not been presented to the king. That's how he explains why there's a specific timeline of 12 months. They would be six months with the special uh, oil that would uh, be good to soften the skin. And then uh, six other months which would give good fragrance to their, to their skin. They would be now ready to be presented in front of the king. Number 13. And now when uh, every girl was presented to the, the king, and specifically when Esther was presented to the king, they were presented with music, and they were adorned beautifully with, with jewelry and fine clothes in order to provoke the attention of the king. Yudalid, uh, verse 14. Sheni. And basically, the girl would be presented in front of the king in the morning. He'd have all day to decide if he wants to marry her or not. And if yes, yes. If no, she'd, sent, she'd be sent back to the Bet Hanashim. Now, um, the Ibn Ezra says something beautiful, sad yet beautiful. He says that the way the king actually tested to see if he wanted to marry this girl or not is he actually was intimately with her. And that's why the verse says he sends them back to the Betanashim, to the dormitory of the of, of where the women were staying, because yeah, they would stay it was a harem. Yeah, harem, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to I mean to call it a dormitory okay. creates yes. a, a, a whole yes. different yes. connotation. Good. Yes, it was a disgusting. It was a not. A, it was not a nice place. So he would send them back to the harem. Good, I'll say it that way. And the uh, Ibn Ezra says that the women would stay there for the rest of their lives once because they, once they had been touched by the king, there we go. That's what he. That's what Ibn Ezra says. Since they were with the king, it would be a a disgrace to the king that the same woman would now go anywhere else. So what she was would stay as is as a as a pilegesh, as a concubine. She would remain a concubine for the rest of her. Of her life, so it wasn't uh, a, a pretty scene. It wasn't. It wasn't something uh, enjoyable. Definitely. Tetvav um, fifteen. And now, when it came the turn of Esther, the daughter of Avichael, who was the niece of of Mordechai, Levat, who he was took as as adopted as his own daughter, she didn't ask to come with any music or any nice clothes or any jewelry she wanted to go in sackcloth or in in a in a regular weekday clothes nothing nothing too special because again she did not want this to be appointed to be this person she went in the regular clothes whatever they put her to wear and esther found favor in, in the eyes of anyone who saw her, she was beautiful in anyone's eyes in her natural format. The Talmud says, again, every single nation 
was saying, she's from us. The French claimed she was a French girl. The Egyptians claimed she was an Egyptian girl, and so on and so forth. The Midrash also says that when it says, Nosat Chen, she found favor in the eyes of everybody, she not only found favor in eyes in this world, but even in the higher spiritual worlds, they saw that she is now set up for greatness and she's going to be the savior for Haman's evil evil plans, which were going to come up. Um, the Manot HaLevi asks, why are we reintroducing Esther over here and telling us who her mother is and who her uncle is? Don't we know that already? I think it's a very uh, valid question. He says as follows, this is reminding us that Esther knows her heritage and Esther knows where she is from and when she's about to stand in front of the king she is remembering that it is at the forefront of her mind and therefore she did not ask for anything to come looking special in front of the king she remembered she was a Jewess and she remembered that this was not a permitted relationship for her so that's why we are reintroducing and retelling us who and where she actually comes from Tedzain, um, uh, number 16. The Midrash says she was taken against her will and put in front of the king to his, his main room in his palace. It was the 10th month, which is So it was in the 7th year of his reign in the month of Tevet. Rashi says that Hashem made it specifically the month of Tevet that she was brought in front of him because it is the winter and it's cold. And what do people like doing in the winter? Snuggling with someone. So specifically, it was cold temperature. So um, Achashrosh would see her and say, hey, I want to snuggle with her. Literally, that's the way Rashi puts it. Okay. Um, Yudzain. Verse 17, as follows, And King Achashverosh loves Esther out of all of the other girls. She was the chosen one. Um, Nashim over here teaches us, and Rashi tells us, that even other women, meaning non-virgins, were brought in front of the king. This is what I wanted, what I wanted to point out to you. Okay? not or from all of the women all of the women she was found to be the greatest the al sheikh says no you know what nashim means uh, that esther was found greater favor in achashvash's eyes compared to his rest of his wives so he had many other wives and she found favor in front of the king as well as in front of all of the um, other uh, virgins, even though there were many virgins, Al Sheikh says she was the one who found greatest favor in Achashverosh's eyes. Vayasim keter malchut tachat vashti, and then he puts a crown on her head and he appoints her as the queen instead of Vashti. The Midrash says that she, Esther, had the merit to rule over 127 uh, countries because she was a direct descendant and followed in the path of Sarah Imenu, who lived 127 years. Okay, The Al-Sheikh says that even though Vashti was the daughter of a king, and the identity of Esther was hidden, so Vashti, it was known who that Vashti was 
and uh, known at least to Hashverosh that Vashti was of royal blood. Esther was this unknown person, and nevertheless, even though she was unknown and her heritage was unknown, Hashverosh was infatuated with her and wanted her so badly, as much as she loved Esther. Tachat Vashti meaning to replace Vashti. It had to be at least as good, if not better, than his attraction towards Vashti. The Midrash says that Ahasuerus had made for himself some type of monument, either made out of, um, uh, how do we say, either stone or metal, that was like a, a carving, uh, like a statue of, of Vashti. And what he would do is he would tie it on his bed. And any woman that would come into his room, he'd compare, no, not, not better looking. Until Esther came, and he removed the monument of Vashti, and he had one made of Esther, because Esther was even more beautiful than Vashti. Okay? That's what the uh, Midrash says. Hashrosh uh, was a sick man. Yes, he was. Yudchet, verse 18. Now, after finding his true love, he finds the... He makes himself a a banquet, a wedding feast. Remember, Achashverosh um, marries Vashti in what year of his reign? I think we said it was the third year. Very good. And this is now the twelfth year of his reign. So he went four years plus until uh, uh, Esther was, was presented. And then she was still waiting around until he, they actually got married. So it was it was it was some time. So this was um, some years later until he actually marries her and 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 makes this great just great this great uh, festive banquet. And so not only does he make a great banquet and a festive meal, he makes a as Rashi explains the Talmud explains he makes a tax upon all of the all of the uh, countries in honor of Esther, meaning all of the ministers were able to collect the tax for themselves because the king got remarried. That's the way they used to do it back in the day. Vaiten Masat, and he also gave all of the ministers gifts in the name of Esther to make Esther beloved upon them. Kiyad HaMelech, great royal gifts. So the Talmud and Rashi both explain, Achashverosh now does three things. He's going to do a fourth but right now in this verse, he does three things to try to get out of Esther. Where are you from? What's your family name? Where were you born? What nation are you from? He first makes a great banquet. No, that wasn't good enough to convince her. Then he shows, look how much I love you. I'm creating a tax in your honor. No. Look, I'm sending gifts to everyone for everyone to like you. No. So these three things were failed attempts. Now he goes along and he tries his fourth attempt which was also a failure. His fourth attempt, let's read the next verse and then we'll explain. This verse, in my opinion, is the most cryptic verse in the whole second chapter of Megillat Esther. What's going on? We just said Achashverosh is making a beauty pageant as his advisors told him to do. He, All the women are collected. They're all presented in front of him. Esther is presented in front of him. He's head over heels for her. And then he makes, he's trying his attempt. There's three different ways to, to find out who and where she's from. She's not saying. Now, if we just skip this verse, it would be perfect. Then number, number 20 is Enester, 
Magedet et Molata. Vetama, as Mordechai said, it makes perfect sense. There, it's seemingly not only is this verse superfluous; it doesn't make sense until you read a couple pages in the Ma'am Loez, who explains exactly what is going on over here. The Ma'am Loez says, even though he had his three attempts to try to figure out and try to get out of Esther where she's from, he didn't give up. He kept on talking about it to her, over and over and over, until Esther finally said. Stop harassing me. I'm not going to tell you. So she was playing tough ball with the ruler. Sometimes people in positions of rulership like, uh, in ru- of rulership like when people poke them. Because then, it, you know, it keeps them, on their, keeps them on their feet. And they would always get into the, the conversation. Esther said, I-, I told you already. I'm the daughter of a king and I'm an orphan. So that's it. I'm not telling you anymore. Until she one time told him, listen, I'm not telling you. Either live with it or kill me. And Ahashverosh was so in love with Esther that he just, he, he couldn't confront her anymore about it. So then he, uh, she gave him an idea. You know, let me give you advice. The previous kings of Persia or Babylon all had great advisors. And their advisors happened to be of the Jewish nation. And she obviously didn't say it in a way insinuating that she was Jewish, right? Because she was hiding that identity. But she said, look at Nebuchadnezzar, Balshetzar, Koresh, Cyrus, right? They all had, they either used Daniel or they had Zerubbabel. They had Jewish uh, advisors. Well, you don't have any Jewish advisors. Why not? And then Hashem was like, oh, great idea, my wife. Amazing. She said, I have someone in mind. I know of a certain individual, his name is Mordechai. Mordechai is a very smart man and he'd be a great advisor. He's actually the head of their Sanhedrin, of their legal court system. Perfect, perfect, perfect. That's where, look in verse 20, uh, verse 19. What's Mordechai doing there? We said a couple of verses ago that Mordechai would meet Halech, he'd stroll back and forth. But now he's Yoshev, what he has, his own desk, he's instituted over there. How did that happen? Did he just bring a folding table? No. The Mamluaz tells us that Mordechai was appointed and hired by Ahasuerosh as an advisor. So now he is no longer Mithalech, strolling. He's Yoshev Bishar HaMelech. He's sitting right there all the time. But now what's Uvhi Kabetz Betulot Shenit? Now he comes and he confides in Mordechai. Mordechai, my Jewish advisor, my supposedly most wise of them all. I got a problem. I married the most gorgeous woman in the world, but she's not telling me her family name or where she's from or where she was born. I don't know anything. Give me an idea. So Mordechai comes up with another plan, right? The first three of Ahasuerus didn't work. Not the mishteh and not the tax and not the gifts. Now Mordechai says, okay, try a fourth plan. Re- gather all the women again and hold another beauty pageant. Maybe Esther's going to feel jealous that her husband is now flirting and talking to other women, as is the nature, the Mamluah says, the nature of women to feel a sense of jealousy when their husband is talking or flirting to other women, or vice versa as well. Husbands also feel you know, jealous when their wife is, is also flirting and talking around with others. But now Mordechai comes and says, use this tactic. 
and maybe since now she's going to feel like, oh, maybe another queen is going to be appointed instead of her, then she's going to divulge that private information. But what was Mordechai thinking? Did he really want her to say? No. Mordechai really deep down was testing, the Mamluet says, was testing. Is this for real and from God that she is taken as the queen? Or was this all this crazy man's mistake, this Achashverosh ridiculousness? If even after a second gathering of all the girls, she will stay as queen even when she does not divulge that private identity information, then something great is going to be. This is God sent and this must be something very special. This was this verse. How, I don't know how else you can understand verse 19. Rashi doesn't say anything. Now, Mordechai comes and gives a, and says, bring another gathering. Bring in all the women again. Hold the beauty pageant all over again. Because Mordechai is sitting as an advisor for the king in the Shar HaMelech. This is the way the uh, Mamloez explains. Before we move on to the next verse, uh, the Mamloez, he terminologizes it as this. He writes it as this. We all have to ask ourselves, why is it that none of the Jewish people come, came to Ahasuerus and told them that, that she was Jewish? Right? It was a known thing that the king was trying to get this private information from, from his queen. Why is it that none of the Jews came forth? I'm sure the king would have remunerated them very nicely. So he gives two answers. Answer number one is he says the king would have probably not uh, believed any Jew that would have said that. Because... Everyone was claiming that she's mine, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine, she comes from us. That's number one. Number two is they were scared. They knew that Mordechai was t making her hide the identity. They were scared that Mordechai would uh, punish them because now Mordechai was a, a, an advisor of the king. He had political power. He could have punished any Jew who would have said that secret, spilt, spilt that news, and therefore no Jew divulged this private information. That's a great question, huh? Okay, number 20. So Esther would not say Molata, her birthplace, and Ama, where she is, uh, where she is, uh, sorry, which, which nation she is a part of. Um, as Mordechai told her not to say, And Esther would do everything Mordechai said as she was in complete faith and trust in what Mordechai said. The, the calculation again is um, Esther kept her secret from, uh, from, from Ahasuerus while she was married to him for exactly four years and four months. Can you imagine? She was married to the king for four years and four months and she still did not tell, her, tell him that she was Jewish until... We see later in, uh, later on in, in the in the in the Megillah, when she finally says that Haman is doing something against me and my nation, as the verse says, "Kinim karnu ani ve'ami," me and my nation were sold. Then Achashrosh realized she was Jewish, but that was four years and four months after she was married. Why? Because she got married in the month of Tevet which was in his seventh year of reign. And in the twelfth year of Ahasuerus' reign, in the month of Nisan, is when she said that line. And that was four years and four months later. So that's a long time to keep the secret. The Iyun Yaakov 
commentary on the Midrash, asks a, a nice question. He says, previously in verse 10, if we would look at verse 10, the, 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 Taurus, uh, the, the, the Megillah says, she would not say et amavet molata, her nation or her birthplace. Here it says, she, would, she never said her birthplace or her nation in an opposite manner, right? So he's asking, what's the difference of, wh- why change it now? Before we said her nation, she didn't say not her nation and not her birthplace. Now it's saying she doesn't say her birthplace but not her nation. What's the reason? So he answers, previously, the point that she was not saying her nation was very important and that was in respect to the other ministers. That verse, verse 10, is before she was introduced to the king. So the ministers were all saying, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine, she's mine, from the Am, from the nation that she is. Because they all knew that she wasn't born to them, that they weren't, they didn't recognize her. They, they knew that she wasn't part of their mishpacha, their family. So that's why over there, the first thing that was mentioned, the Ikar, the main part was that she did not say her, um, her nation, which nation she comes from. But now here she's not saying Molata, her birthplace, because towards Achashverosh, the more important thing was, are, I don't care which nation you're from, but are, do you have a heritage and are you the daughter of a king? So that's why it flips it this time. Okay, very specific. Um, verse 21, we're almost finishing up. Verse 21, And during those days that Mordechai is a uh, advisor and Esther is married to the king. Mordechai Yoshev B'Shara Melech, while he's there and he's sitting, he's doing his duty, Two of the other advisors of the king, Bigtan and Teresh, planned to poison the king. Now, why would they want to poison the king? The Alkut Shimoni says that Achashverosh appoints Mordechai as a advisor, but he appoints them in the place of Bigtan Viteresh. He raises them up. So they were both very jealous and they hated the king for such. So they planned on they planned on uh, on killing him, on assassinating the king. They also didn't like uh, Esther too much. So they didn't like Mordechai because they took he took their job. They didn't like the king because the king gave him the job. And they didn't like Esther. You know why? Because Esther, since the day she came into the picture. The king had non-stop meals with her, banquets, drinking, discussions, and they had to be on call, non-stop. They did not see any sleep. They were <laughs> non-stop working. They really didn't like this idea. They, they really wanted to get rid of all of them. They wanted to start off by getting rid of the king, and get rid of Mordechai, and get rid of Esther, get rid of everybody, because they were driving them crazy. So that is why they got angry. Katsaf, why did they get angry? Well, they got angry because they didn't like this new schedule the king has with his new wife and this concept of a new uh, advisor taking their, taking their place. They made a deal between the two of them because they, they switched off shifts. They said, okay, one of us will be on shift the whole time while the other goes and prepares a special venom from a snake uh, and goes and gives it to the king. So the only way that would have been done is if the other one covers his time and his guard. And that's why in the, is it the next verse? No, in the, in, in the 23rd verse, it says, What does it mean that it was looked into and it was found? 
it was looked into and it was found that these two were playing games and one of them was doing double time while the other one was going and preparing to assassinate the king. Okay? Um, verse 22, And this became known to Mordechai how, the Talmud tells us, that Mordechai understood the 70 languages and he understood their code language and their language which they didn't think Mordechai understood. So he understood their plan. And then Mordechai tells Esther uh, their plan. And then Esther, and then Esther says it in the name of Mordechai. So the Alkut Shimoni asks, why didn't um, Mordechai just let Achashverosh die? Let them kill him. What did he have to interfere for? So a couple answers. Answer number one is because he's acquainted with him. He's on good terms with him. At least if he'll need him to help anything with the Jews... At least stay on good terms. Even though he's not perfect, but at least keep him on good terms. That's number one. Another answer is because it wouldn't look good to say that since the king married a Jewish girl, that he died. And it would also not look good to say since the king appointed a Jewish advisor, such as him, that he died. So for those reasons, he decided it was better to save the king and spare him from his death at that point. Um, the Gemara, as well as in Perkeva, chapter 6, both tell us that the reason why um, Mordechai preferred to have Esther say it in his name instead of him saying it himself is because there's a concept that anyone who says something in the name of someone brings the geulah, brings the salvation. I'll say it in Hebrew. Kol haomer davar b'shem omro. Anyone who says something in the name of someone else, mevi geulah laolam. So he was looking for a way to have a salvation to get out of this exile and get back to Israel. So he was trying to activate it in many ways and therefore having something good said in his name by Esther would start activating that. And the last verse for chapter 2 Verse 23, So it was looked into, and it was true, it was found, that they were slacking off on their, on, their, on their rotation, as well as they were trying to prepare to assassinate the king. And they both were hung on a tree. The Pirkei de Rebeleazer says, they were both hung on the same tree. It doesn't say al etzim. It says on the same tree. They hung one. They took him down, and they hung the other. Vaikatev b'sefer divrei hayamim hamelech. And all of this was written. This favor that Mordechai did and saved the king was written in his royal uh, book of, of of scripture, as uh, as Rashi explains. The Ma'amloez says that it doesn't say katvu or vikatvu. It says vaikatev. Vaikatev sounds like it happened on its own. The Mamloez writes that miraculously, Achashverosh didn't administer someone to write it in there. It was written in there by itself. And therefore, later on in chapter 6, the verse says, It's found that it was written. Meaning, Achashverosh was like, hmm, I don't recall writing this. Well, again, he was a drunkard, so he doesn't remember too many things. But he doesn't remember. And the man says, yes, because it was written, God inscribed it in his book to remember to remember that. Now remember, Achashverosh was smart. We said last week, one of the smart things he did is he never acted right away. He rather lived through experiences, wrote them down, and then decided to either punish or remunerate at a later date. This is something he he normally did. And this is why it says, Vaikatev b'sever divere hayamim lifnei ha-melech. Thank you for listening, and be sure to listen to more Torah Talks. Rabbi Laredo also has hundreds of Torah classes on YouTube, and more coming out daily. Go to youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Laredo.